Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Welcome. Good to see you all this morning. So glad you're here. You look good today. All right. And so we're going to have, that's right. We're going to have a good time. Men, look at the woman with you, whether she's your wife or not, or just a friend. Say, you look good. Kendra, you look good. Reba, you look good. All right. You look good this morning. I'm glad you're here. And we are in the book of James. Now, James is an incredible letter written about 2,000 years ago from the half-brother of Jesus. And he doesn't mess around. He punches us every week right in the throat with truth that we need to apply to our life. Now, James has begun in the first three chapters. He's basically providing or offering to us some litmus test, if you will, to determine how well we're doing in this spiritual journey that we're on. Some tests that we can ask ourselves to introspect our lives and decide, am I really doing what I should be doing, acting as if I should be acting as a follower of Jesus? And so he begins and he says, "You are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? And when I say surrendered, not I said a little prayer, have I given all of my being to all of his eternal being? And he says it like this. When he launches into the letter, he simply says, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ and to God. He says, I'm a slave to Jesus. He didn't say I'm his half-brother. I walked around with him. He said, I'm a slave. So he says, are you a slave? And then you keep looking, and he asks you another question. He asks me another question. He says, "Uh, how well are you faring out? in your tribulations are you finding joy in your tribulations that's a hard question because most of the time the answer is an emphatic no but he that's what he asked because we should find joy in our tribulations knowing that God is walking with us through them thirdly he says are you finding victory over the temptations in your life and he addresses the temptations that all of us face he said are you finding victory And then he moves on and he says uh, what the whole letter generally is about. It's about a faith that works. And he says, is what you believe on the inside showing up in what you do on the outside? Is your believing affecting your behaving? And so that's where he's landed in the first two chapters. And then, unfortunately, he writes the third chapter to our friends. Okay, so far it's been applicable to us. But now chapter three, I just want you to know you're in church, you're Christians. I know this is not a problem for you. So I need you to take good notes because this is for our friends, people in our family, our neighbors, our boss, the people that ain't here today. He's talking about taming the tongue. Amen. Our friends need that, don't they? Wouldn't it have been good if our friends would have been here for this one today? You know, by the way, anytime the preacher preaches a message and you think in the moment, I know a friend, they need this. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you better listen. Okay. And so James knew because he was inspired by the eternal uh, God to write this letter and to include chapter three, almost a whole chapter about taming the tongue. He he knew it was true 2000 years ago. And the Holy Spirit knew it's true in 2022. This letter is for us. It's for your pastor. And it's for you. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, he he lets us know it's coming early. In James chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, If someone thinks he's religious, yet he does not bridle 
or keep a tight rein on his tongue. And so he so deceives his heart. And his religion is futile, which means worthless, corrupted, or false. Now, we all know people who seem to manage their tongue better than others. And some people get really crafty with their tongues. I remember hearing this story. There's a, a young boy, he's a high school boy, and he worked in a grocery store. And it was about quitting time, and, and uh, an old lady came in, and she says, son, I need to buy a half a head of lettuce. And he said, I don't think we sell half a head of lettuce. And he, she said, well, that's what I need to buy. I want you to go get me a half head of lettuce. And so he said, okay, let me go check. And so he goes over to the boss who's in the produce department. And he says, hey, boss, there's this grouchy old woman with a face like a bulldog. She's wanting to buy. She's demanding a half a head of lettuce. And about that time he looked up and she had followed him over there. He said, but the good news, boss, this sweet lady right here is interested in buying the other half. And so he said, you can sell them some lettuce. So a little while later, the lady left and the boss comes to this boy and he says, hey, son, I, I watched you back there. You are very good with getting yourself out of a predicament. Where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Saginaw, Michigan. And he said, Saginaw, Michigan? What's Saginaw, Michigan known for? He said, oh, that's easy. Ugly, ugly women and great, great hockey teams. The boss said, really? My wife is from Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> to which the little boy said, the young man said, which team did she play for? <laughs> now, now, sometimes uh, we don't manage our tongue very well, and so we spend our life trying to dig ourselves out of a hole. And if we do it long enough, like that young man, we end up getting pretty good at digging ourselves out of the hole that we created for ourselves. James is going to step onto the picture and say, listen, if you will manage this monster inside of that cage of teeth that God gave you, you won't spend your life digging your way out of a hole. You'll spend your life being used by God to edify and encourage the world around you. And that's all his motivation is. He just wants us to get the fact that God has given us a tongue for good to be used by him. We saw last week uh, Jesus weighed in on the tongue and Jesus said it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Jesus would go on and say, every idle word, every word spoken in the dark will be, have light shined on it. Every uh, word will be revealed in the end. <clears throat> and then he says this, he says, what proceeds from the mouth is a reflection of what's in the heart. You see, what's inside is what comes out. You can pretend some of the time but the devil's good. He'll reveal your true identity, your true colors through what you say and how you use your mouth. And so James is going to drive this home. So I want you to take good notes so you can share it with your friends. And so the title of the message, it's two parts, is Loose Lips and Hasty Hearts. And point number one, James begins in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and he tells us that loose lips and a hasty heart bring judgment. They bring discipline into our life. He says, not everyone should desire to be a teacher. Now we unpack that. The fact that sure it's for preachers, it's a strong word for the preacher. I mean, it's an upsetting word for the preacher, but everybody is a teacher at some level. We teach our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. We teach people who just simply watch our life and people are always watching our life and they're learning about your life by the things you say and the things you do. And what we say, the things we teach, bring discipline. Secondly, we saw that uh, loose lips and hasty hearts reveal 
development. On the other side, the positive side of loose lips and hasty hearts, it reveals the fact that maybe we are doing well on the journey with Jesus, that he's changing us from the inside out. And our words begin to change and, and our, our, our actions begin, begin to align with our words. And so I gave you a couple of tools last week uh, about how we can learn to manage our tongue. The first one is the word wait. Sometimes we just need to pause and ask this word, wait. And what does that mean? Why am I talking? Why am I tweeting? Why am I typing? Why am I doing this? And the second word, which was an acronym, is the word think. Just think about what we're getting ready to say. The word T stands for, is it true? H stands for, is it helpful? I stands for, is it inspired by the Holy Spirit for me to share? N is, is it needed? And K is, is it kind? So James doesn't stop there. And that's good stuff so far. He could have stopped, but he didn't. It gets worse. It gets worse or it gets better depending on how you receive it. Point number three, loose lips and hasty hearts on the back of your worship guide, they determine direction. They determine direction. Now, James is a storyteller. James drives these points home. He's a, uh, uh, a shoe leather preacher. He just wants it to be real. And so he uses analogies or stories to help us understand how significant what the Holy Spirit is sharing with him is in your life and in my life. So it determines direction. This is what he says in James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, and if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide or give direction to their entire but the smallest analogy he uses is a bit placed in the mouth of a horse. And he says, with this small bit, we can guide or determine the direction of this large beast. The average horse, full-grown horse, weighs somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds. <clears throat> the average bit weighs about a half a pound or less than a half a pound. And for centuries, for ages, we have learned to control these large animals simply by controlling them from their mouth. And James is saying, you and I are that large creature who have something small in our mouth that determines the direction of the things in our life, the circumstances and situations in our life, and even life itself. And so James is going to tell us about that. Now, it's perfect timing for us to be in the book of James and in chapter 3 and talking about the tongue and uh, James giving us the illustration of a bit. Why? Because last Saturday was one of the greatest horse races in, uh, in the world. It's, it was the 148th Kentucky Derby. And I don't know if you saw it or a video of it. It is off the chart cool. So what we have is we have this, this horse, a three-year-old horse, uh, whose name is Rich Strike. Rich Strike weighs in at about 1,000 pounds. And so they place a jockey on top of Rich Strike, who's a small Venezuelan guy, five feet tall, weighs about 115 pounds. And then they put inside that Rich Strike's mouth a small bit and a reins. And then they put them in a starting gate, and Rich Strike wasn't even supposed to be in the race. But because somebody pulled out, they snuck him in there. Now, up to this date, he had won about $111,000, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. 
because they're very expensive to raise and train these horses. So he enters the Kentucky Derby, and I think we've got a, we couldn't show the video because they've got it on lockdown, but I want to encourage you to watch the video. We've got this picture. Rich Strike is in the upper right. Now, he's already making progress. In fact, that's just the finish line, I think. He started out, he came out the gate, and this is what he does. He's going perpendicular to the track, and then he's going over here like, what are we here for? You know, what, what is this, boss? You know, what are we doing? And, and, and all of a sudden, he engages in the race. All of a sudden, uh, the, the jockey pulls the reins, turns his head, and gets him lined up. And he's like, oh, I guess we better hurry. And so he takes off like a lightning bolt. And based on this trained jockey, based on hours and hours of training, something happens. This bit in his mouth directs him and he makes his way. He navigates running full speed in a circle. He navigates him his way to the very, from the very last to the very front of the line. And he generated $1.86 million in victory purse money. Now, you can say this. Well, that victory is a product of his gene pool. I mean, they paid tens of thousands of dollars to even sire this pony. Or you could say, well, that... That little Venezuelan jockey, he's the best. Or you could say, whatever you want to say, at the end of the day, if you take that bit out of that horse's mouth, that horse is out there walking around in circles. He has no idea what to do. And James is saying, just like the bit in a horse's mouth determines its direction, what you have, that small muscle of a beast inside your teeth, determines the direction of your life. It's real. Now, James, because it's James, he's thinking, okay, maybe you don't know anything about a horse, and maybe you don't agree that a bit, which weighs about a half a pound, is really what controls the direction of a thousand-pound beast. So now he goes into another analogy, and this one he's going to talk about is the rudder of a ship. He says in verse 4, look at ships too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder uh, wherever the pilot's incl inclination directs. And so he was talking about, obviously, sailboats, ships with sails or with rows 2,000 years ago. But it's, it's God's inspired, inerrant, eternal word written and sent by living, loving God. It's just as true today. So let's spin it forward. Let's look at technology of today, not a sailboat. We have a picture of a ship. This ship is called the USS Theodore Roosevelt. It's an aircraft carrier that weighs 47,000 tons. That's a beast. 47,000 tons. Now listen to the stats. 20 stories of its, uh, of its structure is above the waterline, above the waterline. It has a four and one half acre flight deck on the top of it. It is 1,922 feet long, nearly as long as the Empire State Building is tall. It has four bronze propellers, each one of them 21 feet across and weighing more than 30 tons each. But they will tell you the direction of that ship is not determined by any of that. The direction of that ship is determined by two rudders. Two rudders that are 22 feet by 29 feet each, and their total comprised weight is 100 tons. 100 tons of rudder 
directs 47,000 tons of ship. And James knew that was real 2,000 years ago. Now, here's what's interesting. Proportionately, 100 tons to 47,000 tons is the equivalent of me being directed by a one-half pound rudder. Anybody want to guess what the average weight of the human tongue is? About a half a pound. Just like a ship, we are find our direction by what comes out of our mouth. James knew it because God knew it. The Holy Spirit shared it with James, and James ain't afraid to tell it. So write that down so you can share it with your friends, amen? Because you know they need it, right? And so we're going to keep going. Uh, he, not only does God weigh in about this in James, not only does Jesus weigh in about the tongue in the New Testament, the, the Scripture is replete with Scripture words about the tongue. He says in Psalm 141.3, God says, O Lord, place a guard on my mouth and protect the opening of my lips. Proverbs 12.18 says, speaking recklessly is like the thrust of a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words abound, transgression is inevitable, but the one who restrains his words is wise. Proverbs 13, 3, the one who guards his words, guards his life. Whoever is talkative will come to ruin. Inside your mouth, inside my mouth, and inside the mouth of the ones who need it most, our friends, there is a small beast called the tongue, a muscle, caged, God caged it inside, a mouthful of pearly white teeth for a reason. So sometimes we will exercise control. Sometimes we will use a filter. Sometimes before we speak, we will actually think. And so James is going to tell us that loose lips and hasty hearts determine direction. Not only that, number four, loose lips and hasty hearts cause destruction. And once again, James isn't going to just say, oh, there's destruction that comes out of your mouth. You ought to be careful what you say. He's going to give us a couple of analogies, a couple of pictures or images to help us understand how real the destruction is. He says in verse 5, so too the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. And it pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence. And where does it get its source? It is set on fire by hell. <laughs> Punch to the face right there. He is not messing around. He's just telling it like it is and nobody likes to hear it. Amen? Amen. Honest. Half of us are honest. Our friends don't want to hear it. Amen? That's more like it. Amen. All right? You see, he says it's like a fire. Now listen to the words again. He, he says, he says, great pretensions. He says, a world of wrongdoing polluting the entire body, igniting human existence. Who even says something like that? He goes on, he says, Sets, set on fire by hell. Now, now, here's the thing. When we think about forest fires, we get that. For a long time, we would get that from knowing about our friends who lived in California. 
They blaze and blaze and blaze and burn millions of acres. And they try and try and try to contain what started as a simple flame or spark or ember. But only recently we understood how real that can be in the fires that burned much of the Gatlinburg area. And so we realized, and at the time, you remember the Gatlinburg fires, they were started by two teenagers who were flipping matches along the trail. Ultimately, they decided that was just part of the problem. There were 90 mile and 100 mile an hour winds that blew trees into transformers and, and trees ignited. And so there were multiple fires all starting at the same time. But the point is this, when the fire begins, it does damage and destruction uh, as time goes on. And it's the same with our words. You say, well, what's that even mean? What starts with just a, a small flame turns into this great fire. And so what we do sometimes is we share words that we just, we're getting them off of our chest. We feel obligated to clear our conscience. And so we share words just like a small flame. What we don't know often is where that small flame coming from the fire of our tongue is landing. You see, much like these forest fires, the reason they do so much damage is because one small flame lands in debris, an unkept, unclean area that is a good, conducive place for a fire to grow. And then all of a sudden the winds blow and it begins to transfer it through the forest and then we have destruction and that's what words do. We share words that don't seem that bad. We know they're not good words, but they're not necessarily, don't seem necessarily bad words because they're maybe true words. And so we share those words and they land in a heart or in the life of someone who has debris and unkept areas in their life. And that little flame begins to grow and it turns into a fire. And then that person walks away wounded and lands in a circle of people that are willing to listen. And they share the little flame that has begun to burn in their life. And all of a sudden, it grows and grows and grows. And the forest gets a flame. And the damage is done. James is saying, that is the way it is with our life. And he says, and here's what you need to know about those words. You thought you were the ones that was creating those words of fire. You thought you were the ones that held the keys to the sparks that cause all the damage. James says, I want you to know where that comes from. It doesn't come from you. It comes from hell. That's pretty heavy. That's heavy stuff. To, to think that we are used by Satan sometimes to take the words of his kingdom and for them to flow out of the mouth of someone who says they're a Christian, igniting fires and, and, and causing destruction along its path. It's, it's, it's sickening when we think about it. And so we need to be aware that that's where it comes from. Now, he, in the Greek, the word for hell is Gehenna. Gehenna is a place right outside the Jerusalem wall that burns continually. Once upon a time, Gehenna was a place where uh, they would per, per, uh, perform baby sacrifices to pagan gods. Wicked, wicked stuff. And, and, and they stopped doing that, but this place was considered accursed. So they, they lit it up and they burned their garbage there. So day in, day out, it's the burning place for the garbage. And so... At the same time, James is using that as an illustration that that's where your words often come from. 
the fire that is inside our mouth, often it comes, it's ignited from hell itself. Now, in case you didn't get the memo about how bad the destruction is from the fire, he goes on and and, and he lightens it up just a little bit. He says, I want you to think about this in verse seven. He says, for every kind of animal, the bird, the reptile, the sea creature, are all subdued and have been subdued by humankind. Verse 8, but, change of direction, no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil and a deadly poison. So James says there's destruction by fire and there's destruction by poison and evil. Now he begins by talking about how we as people 2,000 years ago, He knew large animals could be controlled. They could be contrained. He had no idea about the world we live in. I mean, I was thinking about some of the animals that I have seen trained. Obviously, dogs. I ain't never seen a cat trained. Untrainable beast, okay? Devil cats, okay? Dogs trained all the time. I trained some dogs. I had a golden retriever. I taught him how to eat one of a good pair of shoes. I taught him how to shed a lot of hair in the house and in the car. I taught him how to pee in a crate and then lay in it. Didn't have to give him a bone or anything, just I'm that good. We've trained all these animals, right? You you go to the circus and you see a 2,000-pound bear riding a bicycle. Something wrong with that picture. You see an elephant standing on one foot on a small stool for a peanut. You see monkeys You see lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my, you see them all, all of them trained. And if that's not impressive, load your family up like we did and go to SeaWorld. Forget about Disney World. That place is of the devil. I said it. Go to SeaWorld. SeaWorld will, if you like rides, they got them. Off the chain, good rides. Make you sick and throw up while you're on the ride, good rides, okay? You don't have to wait till you get off. It's good, all right? And and while you're there, there's aquariums everywhere. You can pet sea lions and porpoises and all this stuff. And then you go to the shows. This freaks me out. And I was thinking about what James had to say, and I thought about SeaWorld. You go to SeaWorld, and you go to the dolphin show. Are they porpoises or dolphins? Dolphins. Whatever. Dolphins. Okay. You go there, and they go to the dolphin show. And you get you a seat, and there's this large pool of water, and these guys come out there in wetsuits, men and women, have a little whistle, and a bucket. And they begin to do these, these hand gestures. Blow a whistle, put your two fingers up in the air, and three of these dolphins swim around in a circle and come out and simultaneously do a double flip. Okay, hold the phone. I understand if you find one dolphin that likes to flip. And you realize that, and so let's encourage it. Let's figure out how we can encourage this one dolphin to do his double flip, and we'll give him a fish. But how you tell all three of them to do it at the same time I don't get that. And then, you, and, and, and Clark knows this true. Ken, our, our grandkids were impressed. My grandkids' grandfather was freaked out. I was amazed. And then we go to the orca, the killer whale show. Killer whale. You know why they're called the killer whale? Because they're top of the food chain in the ocean. In the ocean, there's nothing that surpasses. They are the most feared beast in all the ocean. They eat white sharks, great white sharks. Did you know that? That's why they call them killer whales. So you put the killer whale in the tank and I'm thinking, how do you get them to do tricks? A little man in a wetsuit, a little woman in a wetsuit, 
comes along brave enough to pet him on the nose and say, won't you go do a big flip and then swim along the edge and splash all the people on the, top, on the lower ten rows. And if you do, I'll give you a fish, killer whale. How do, how, do, how do we get from here to there? I have Hispanics friends that used to work with me. I could not even communicate with them. And here's these people telling a whale what to do. He's a killer whale. What keeps the killer whale from saying and communicating, why don't you go out in the middle of the pool and do a flip, take a fire hose and wet the people, and if you don't, I'll eat you like everything in the ocean. It's not like that. You see, James knew what we really should know today. These huge beasts are controlled by uh, by us, and he says, but no human being can control his tongue. You know why? Because the tongue is a reflection of the condition of the heart. And you remember the first thing that James said in his book, in chapter his letter in chapter one? He said, I am a slave, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how he could write this letter, with words that were all good and godly and edifying. You see, it begins with the condition of the heart. And, and, and the reason we can't control our tongues is because we don't spend enough allegiance controlling the condition of our heart. And when we get our heart condition right, all of a sudden, we don't control our tongue anymore because human beings can't. The Holy Spirit begins to give direction to our tongue and to our words, and everything changes. <clears throat> and so James is letting us know. Proverbs says this in chapter 16. A wicked scoundrel digs up evil, and his slander is like a scorching fire. A perverse person spreads dissension, and a gossip separates the closest of friends. And so inside our mouth, we have a half a pound of evil that has been set afire by the blazes of hell. And if, we're, if our heart drifts away from God's desire, it just goes crazy out of our mouth. And they may show up as critical words. They may show up as dishonest words. They may be hurtful words, judgmental words. But they're all fire starters and deadly poison. They may be careless words, vain words, idle words, contemptuous words, hostile words, sour words, negative words, carnal words, profane words, cursing words, blasphemous words, filthy and immoral words. But at the end of the day, it's fire and poison, and it's a condition, revealing the condition of our heart. Did you know that false information or lies travels scientifically, statistically proven, travels six times faster than truth. And so James is trying and trying and trying, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, follower of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in Jesus, people who are part of God's forever family, you need to watch your heart and try to control your tongue. So we've learned that the tongue uh, brings discipline. It reveals development. It determines direction. And it causes destruction. Number five, loose lips and hasty hearts expose division. This one's interesting, but James talks about it, so we will too. He says now three final analogies. He says in verse nine, with it, with our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, 
we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, and these things should not be so. My brothers and sisters, a spring does not pour forth, pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring a saltwater spring produced fresh water. So here's the three analogies about our tongue. He says, a spring producing fresh and bitter water, a tree with figs and olives, a spring with salt water and fresh water. He says, somehow, as the Indians say, man speak with forked tongue, somehow what nature cannot allow to happen, we push through it and we make it happen. He says, with the same tongue that says, oh God, on Sunday morning, you are the best. That same tongue splits right down the middle. And out of this side of the mouth, we curse and talk about people who are created in God's image. And James says, it shouldn't happen. It's like trying to stand up and sit down at the same time. It's like walking forward and backwards. Unless you're doing the moonwalk, it ought not happen. He says, what nature says shouldn't happen, somehow our tongue pushes through the miraculous and we curse and bless with the same mouth. Now, lastly, loose lips and hasty hearts, and we're finished. Loose lips and hasty hearts, when brought under control, can access deliverance. Deliverance through our mouth. All of those things we, that James has pointed out is true. But now we're going to go over to see what Paul says. And we learn in Ephesians 4.29 that when our tongue is a reflection of a pure heart, all of a sudden, he says, you must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it would give grace to those who hear it. And then in Colossians 4.6, he says, let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer everyone when our heart is right all of a sudden we find access to deliverance and when we find access to deliverance when we speak those words it offers deliverance to those who listen to our words it's amazing it's amazing how um, how beautiful god has designed us i, I went to the hospital this week last week I went and Tanner and Haley had Jackson and he's a big boy and beautiful and and then this week Sarah who sings on her worship team they had their baby and uh, her name is River and she weighed five pounds and 13 ounces and beautiful and and every time I see a baby I'm amazed by them amazed of how God put us together our daughter Kelsey she's in a room down at Fort Sanders because her water broke at 30 weeks and they want her to stay in the hospital. She's fine, they just want her to stay there for six weeks until the baby fully develops. I'm gonna share something with you, it's kinda gross, but it's amazing, freak me out. Do you know where ambiotic fluid comes from? The mommy drinks fluids, passes the fluids through her bloodstream into the bloodstream of the baby. The baby takes out the water, runs through the kidneys, and urinates it turns into ambionic fluid <laughs> tell me there ain't a God you know what I'm saying that same God who 
who we watch babies develop and see them emerge into this world as a new life, every intricate part of it has been formed and fashioned and purposed by a God who's bigger than we can even possibly imagine. And every part of that human being, every part of you, was designed by the Creator God to be used for His glory. And of all of those things, and you know it's true, the one thing that robs glory from the Creator God more than anything else, you know it's true of your friends, is that half-pound muscle called the tongue. Because with it, we bless, and with it, we curse. And all the while, it holds within it the power to access deliverance. Now, these words are the best words that you will ever voice. And it's not the first words of your life. Sometimes we really magnify. I see this little baby over here not talking yet, making some cool noises. You see there? She heard me. Uh, amen. The best amen I had all day. I love you. Special. The rest of these people can't get nothing from them. So we look for their first words to be spoken. And maybe it's dada or mama or papo, whatever that is. And we love them. And I have three speaking grandchildren right now. And major boy, is a, he amazed me. He's 20 months. And he says things I, I like, how did you even know that? I mean, he communicates amazing. And I'm amazed by that. And then we have a three-year-old granddaughter who she has the sweetest speech impediment you've ever heard in your life. Part of me would like for her to have it when she's 25, but I know that wouldn't be cool. And I listen to her words, and it makes my heart smile. It does. And then I have a seven-year-old who comes home and throws words out there that I'm like, who even said that word that he would know how to put it, form it, and craft it in a sentence like that? I'm amazed by those words in an early life. But I want you to know, as cool as those are, beautiful as those are, those are not the greatest words ever spoken, the, 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 the most beautiful words ever spoken. And, and at the same time, maybe you find yourself at a bedside beside a grandparent or beside a, a, a husband or a wife or a friend, and they're seeing visions of angels and the gates of heaven, and God's coming to take them home. And it's amazing, and it's comforting, and it's beautiful. But those are not the greatest words a person will ever speak. You see, in between those two moments of origination and departure, there's a thing called a lifeline. And on that lifeline, of all of the words spoken, the greatest words that will ever be spoken in any human being's life, any, are found right here in Romans 10, 9, and 10. In these words, we access deliverance from our sin condition. And we open the doors to step into grace and forgiveness and forever life. Listen how he says it, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he says, for it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. 
You can run all over the Bible and find all kinds of scripture, but you cannot run from the fact that there's a lot of power in the muscle inside your mouth. And in it are the words that open the door to deliverance, spiritual freedom. A, a breaking away of the, every bondage in your life is contained in our mouth. And I'm not one that we speak things that aren't as if they were, so they will be. I'm not that guy. But I'm telling you, when you believe in your heart that Jesus is, has raised from the dead, you place your faith in the resurrected Christ, not just some mental, but with the, your heart, your soul, your being, and you confess it over and over and over the words of your mouth demonstrate the condition of your heart and you just confess Jesus you're the Lord I know this world is a train wreck right now I know my world is upside down right now I know right now I'm burdened and I have stuff in my life but Jesus I confess you as the Lord of my life which means no matter where I am you are with me because you are the Lord of my life you didn't just save me you're my master you're my controller you're my owner you're my master and my Lord and I love you and I'm gonna live for you through all of this what we do rather than that is we let this little beast of a monster of a muscle inside our mouth run and run and run about a lot of things and we forget the most important words in our life I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes maybe you're here today and you didn't come here for that but you just have been given a revelation by the Holy Spirit that you know a lot about Jesus, you know a lot about God, you know a lot about salvation story, but you don't know much about a personal walk with the God who created you. And somehow, in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God has reached down beyond the crust, broke through the shell, and has spoken to your heart and has invited you into his family. I just want to say, if that's happened to you, you're in the right place at the right time. Do not walk away without receiving and accepting his invitation. Do not walk away and miss, maybe, the last opportunity you have to be born again into God's forever family. And if that's you today, and you're like, I don't know what to do. It's easy. I'm going to help you. All you do is say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've tried to fix me. I've tried to work some stuff out. And it just doesn't work. So, God, if you're willing to invite somebody like me to be part of someone like you, I'll give myself to you just like I am and I will receive in exchange the glory and the perfection of Jesus your son to come into my life to exchange all of my sinful condition for the righteousness of Jesus from this day forward and God I won't be able to do it by myself so I'm asking that your Holy Spirit come into my life to strengthen me to guide me 
to change me, to help me from this day forward. Thank you, God, for inviting me to your family. Thank you for saving somebody like me. And most of us in here have made that commitment, that prayer before. And maybe your prayer today is simply like mine. Father, change my heart so it will change my words. Give power to my heart so that the power will be transferred to control the words of my mouth. Help me learn to speak when I need to speak, to be quiet when I need to be quiet, to share only words that are helpful, beneficial, and inspired, that my words will give you glory. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for every single person that's gathered. I thank you for James, Jesus' half-brother. I thank you for the change in his life once he met the resurrected Jesus. I thank you that he was bold in writing this letter. I pray, God, that we'll take the words of this letter 2,000 years later and have a, a seasoned, conditioned heart to receive them, not so we can just learn them, but so we could learn to live by them. God will give you the praise and the glory for it. I thank you for our church. I thank you, God, for all of the wonderful things. I thank you for the hard times. I thank you, God, that in all of it, you're doing something beautiful and you're building your church, which Jesus said he would do, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.